Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Michael Barrison, who is charged with the attempted murders of Lauren Kanarek and Robert Goodwin in Long Valley, New Jersey. Kanarek was struck in the chest by two bullets from Barrison's weapon, and as it was undisputed that Barrison fired those shots, his legal team argued that he was not guilty because he was legally insane at the time of the shooting, and in the alternative because he fired those shots in self-defense. In our last episode, we concluded our review of the direct examination of Dr. Stephen Simring, the key defense expert witness who offered evidence supporting the claim that the defendant is not guilty by reason of insanity. On today's installment, we begin our look at the prosecution's cross-examination of Dr. Simring. That's all coming up right after the break. 2022 all right, with that, we'll begin the cross-examination by the state. Thank you, Your Honor. Good morning, Dr. Simmons. Good morning, Mr. Shellhorn. Do you ever use psychological tests as part of your examination process? Yes, but I don't perform them. Um, if I need, if I think psychological tests are helpful, I will uh, call upon a psychologist colleague to perform the test. And you'd agree with me that even when you do use a psychological test, you would never render a diagnosis based on the test? No, I would not. Now, you indicated uh, on direct examination that you rendered your diagnoses using the DSM? Correct. And I'm just going to refer to it that way. I think at this point now the jury knows what we're talking about. But you would agree that any diagnosis in the DSM would not meet any particular legal standard? That is correct. There is, in fact, a statement in DSM at the very beginning that says it in so many words that no diagnosis equates to any particular legal conclusion. Would you agree with me that there's no memory uh, disorder that's selective just for criminal behavior? That is correct. Now, you indicated uh, that you diagnosed Mr. Barrison with depression disorder and delusion disorder. Correct. You would agree with me that depression disorder does not affect a person's ability to know right from wrong? Well, counsel, that's a complex question. There are all kinds of, of levels of depression. Uh, I diagnosed him with persistent depressive disorder, which used to be called in the DSM-4 um, dysthymia, and prior to that used to be called minor depression or neurotic depression. It basically is a serious condition. It can lead to suicide, but it is not usually accompanied by psychosis. On the other hand, there are major depression disorders which can involve psychosis and delusional thinking, but that's not my diagnosis. 
So in this case, your, your diagnosis of depression would not have affected Michael Barrison's ability to know right from wrong. That is correct. Uh, I'm sorry, not directly. I think the uh, chronic depression made him more vulnerable to uh, be affected by all of these events, but it would not lead directly to his ability to know right from wrong, no. Do you recall if you ever wrote that in your report? Uh, I don't recall that I did. With respect to the delusional disorder that you discussed uh, diagnosing the defendant with, uh, you would agree that a person with delusions could know right from wrong? Correct. A person with delusions could understand the nature and quality of their actions? Absolutely, anything's possible. And I think you just testified in response to the last question from Mr. Belinkis that it's not clear whether the delusional disorder in this case affected Mr. Barrison's ability to understand the nature and quality of his actions. Correct. Now, I know you testified to this already, but uh, delusional disorder is a relatively uncommon psychiatric illness. Correct. Some general, general questions, doctor. Uh, would you agree with me that two people can have the same experience but perceive it differently? Certainly. You'd agree with me that someone being mistaken about something is not the same as someone having a delusion? Yes. In fact, in the definition of delusion, one of the defining points of delusion is it's not based on simple ignorance or on uh, cultural factors. So just for an example, if a child believes in Santa Claus, that's not a delusion. There's no Santa Claus, but it's not a delusion because it's held within the realm of children. If a person believes in God, whether or not God exists is not the point. There is a wide variety of people who believe in God. Delusions are idiosyncratic. They're believed by the individual with little, if any, evidence, and they're held on to firmly. And the final point is the individual with the delusion of disorder cannot be reasoned out of it. Simple mistake or simple ignorance will lead to conclusion. You see something and you believe that your partner is cheating you out of money, but when you're shown the books and shown the evidence, you say, oh, that's not true, I was wrong. In a delusional disorder, you could put all the evidence in the world out there. The delusional person will hang on to his or her delusion. And I think you just used the term idiosyncratic. Can you just define kind of how you use that word for the jury? I forgot the context in which I used it, but idiosyncratic means highly personal, that other people don't quite see it that way. And I think you used it in the context of a delusion would be highly idiosyncratic. It would be unique to that person. It is. Now, the content may not be, because people who have delusions often have themes which are common themes, like the theme in delusional disorder, persecutory type, the theme that you're being spied on, poisoned, in danger, set up for murder. These are common kind of themes. But each individual who is delusional will have his or her own idiosyncratic take on it. Doctor, would you agree with me that a person feeling an emotion is not the same as a delusion? Well, we all feel emotions, of course. And we're not all delusional. No, no, we all feel emotions, and sometimes our emotions are, get us into a great deal of trouble. Uh, very common that normal people will believe that, I don't know, their girlfriend cheated on them, or their business partner cheated on them, or their driver cut them off deliberately. This is very common. They may even act on it. They may even do violence. However, in the long run, they don't persist. When they're confronted with the evidence, they will back off. Mr. Barrison would not back off despite any evidence. And despite the fact that when I mentioned before about being spied on, he was being spied on. I mean, there were cameras out there. But that's not the point. He thought that this was a plot, a multifaceted plot, all designed to bring him down. And my question wasn't necessarily specific to Mr. Barrison. It was just a general question that a person feeling an emotion 
doesn't necessarily mean that they're delusional. I would hope not. I feel emotions every day. I hope you're not feeling any emotions with me yet, Doctor. Only positive and admiring. So and I mean that genuinely. So let me ask you some questions about the uh, discovery that you reviewed in this case and uh, your evaluation. Um, you indicated that you had met with Mr. Barrison for five meetings? Correct. And the first meeting was in person, the other four meetings were on Zoom? Correct. Do you recall approximately the total number of hours that those meetings were? The first, uh, the total, it totaled a number of six hours in all. That's written on the first page of my report. Uh, I believe the first session was two hours and the others were an hour each. So that would add up to about six. And your first meeting with him was on September 6, 2019? That's correct, which uh, is just 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 about exactly a month after the incident. Almost exactly a month after yes. the incident. And then your next meeting with him, uh, can you just clarify from your report whether your next meeting was in March or April? April. All the other meetings were in April. Okay, so on, your, on the first page of your report where it says March 13th, that should be April 13th? Uh, that's a typo. Okay. That's the type of it. should be April 6th, April 13th, April 20th, April 27th. The reason so much time went by is I needed more discovery material. So when I had the discovery material, I broke this down into meetings. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. After having Dr. Simring chronicle the meetings with Michael Barrison that comprised the psychiatrist's opportunities to observe the defendant, Prosecutor Shellhorn next asked the witness about other consultations that contributed to the preparation of his report. Now, for example, after you received the discovery material, I think one of the people you said you reached out to was Ann Picardo? Correct. And you indicated that you were aware that she was the defendant's psychotherapist for periods off and on during the, the years. Correct. Ms. Picardo is not a doctor, to your knowledge? To my knowledge, she's not, no. She's certainly not a physician, and I'm not sure she has a PhD, but, and I, I have not seen her curriculum vitae. As far as I know, she is a psychotherapist. Now, you didn't review all of the available discovery in the case, did you? God forbid. Was that because it wasn't provided to you or because you didn't want it or need it? I was choking on it. I told Mr. Uh, Belinkus, please stop, I've seen enough. I mean, I reach a point where you can get the pattern of things without seeing every little thing. And that really got to the whole point of, of Mr. Barrison's problem. He would dig up every tiny little scrap. I didn't need it and didn't want it. Well, and I wanted to ask you in particular about uh, witness statements. I think you indicated on direct examination that you reviewed a number of witness statements. Correct. Did you actually listen to the recordings of those witness statements or did you read police reports that summarized this? Read police reports and might have read a couple of actual statements, but I did not listen to tape recordings, no. And you were aware that there were a number of people that were listed in the discovery whose statements were not summarized in police reports? I believe that's true. I'm not absolutely sure. There were a lot of people on the farm, a lot of young people, older people on the farm. On the pages in your report where you talked about uh, witness statements, starting on page six, 
those would be summaries based on your impression of what a police officer wrote in their report? Correct. For the purpose of constructing a report, it's important for me to summarize. And hopefully the summary is accurate. But in order to digest all of this kind of information, put it into a readable form, and to extract the essence of it, I will summarize things. Also, to demonstrate my understanding. So if my understanding is faulty, then you can easily see where my summary misses the point. Now, obviously, a summary doesn't cover everything. Hopefully, the summary is accurate. So if the summary that the police officer wrote in the report was very short and didn't encompass everything that was talked about during the statement, you wouldn't know that. That's correct. And there are also multiple police reports. You also indicated, and I apologize, I don't know what it was marked as, but that you had re, uh, reviewed some written statements from Mr. Barrison. Yes. And I think you said that was 91 pages that he provided to you? Well, he provided thousands of pages. And the deal I struck with Mr. Barrison, I'm putting it kindly, I told Mr. Barrison I'm not even going to look at it unless you give me the 100 top hits because I don't want more. I don't need more. I don't want more. You know, such a thing is sowing confusion with too much material. So what he did is he complied, and he gave me a document which consisted of 91 pages. They're not numbered. They're basically chronological. Mr. Belinkus and I went over them, and we developed our own little Bates numbering system so that I have easy reference to them. But 91 pages, I think, fairly summarizes his concerns. And so that would just be what Michael Barrison wanted you to know about his take on what happened within the confines that you gave him? Well, I had everything, but I instructed him to do that. I didn't want any more. And, and I, I read enough to know how repetitive this was that I did not need to know every single post Lauren Canerac did, every time she used the word threat, every time she used the word multiple personality, every time she used the word, I, I wasn't interested in that. I'd seen so much of that that I got the idea and that I wanted him to summarize. Also, while it may be a biased summary in the sense that he chose it, it's an important bias because this is what's important to him. And in my thinking, what really mattered about the discovery is not the fact of it, but what was important to him about it. So by having him digest it, I saw what was important to him. So if he put something into his written statement that wasn't accurate, that wouldn't matter to you? Well, in the sum of the, no, no record is completely accurate, but my review of the records that I saw and his summary comported with one another. And it was not really for the truth of anything. I was really saying to him, basically, go through these thousands of pages, pick out a hundred pages, the ones that most affected you. And that's what I was interested in, what most affected him. And that's what he gave me. I guess maybe asking that question another way, would you agree that if the information you were provided was inaccurate, that could affect your diagnosis? Anything's possible. So, for example, you were asked on direct examination about various text messages and, and media documents that Mr. Barrison told you about. Yes. And he told you that he was aware of those media posts or those uh, text messages before the shooting incident. Yes, he was following them avidly. And so he was following them almost in real time, you said, in the, that weeks or week leading up to the shooting. Con consistently following her posts. Now, I'm going to show you in that regard, if I may approach, Judge. Sure. What was referred to as Exhibit 200A-85, Doctor. Got it. Do you remember that post? I think I was shown this by your adversary before. This comes under a tab, they know a war is coming. And 
where it has a pink highlighter around a certain post. Who put that there? Oh, I don't know who put it there, but it says author Lauren Canarak. This was on 7-28-19. That would have been a week before the shooting. And the text was, they know a war is coming. And your recollection is that Michael Barrison gave you this post in, in particular and told you that this informed some of his mental state. That this was part of a vast number of things. I've seen that quote and I've seen similar quotes riddled throughout these emails. But I think your, te your testimony on direct, correct me if I'm wrong, was that you were shown this particular text or that this was a particular one Mr. Barrison referred to. One of them, yes. Uh, and that's, if you would agree with me, that's on page 18,356 of the records. 18,356. That is a lot of pages. Do you know where this post came from, Doctor? No, it looked like, no, I, I think she had Instagram as well as Facebook. I don't know all the social media she used. I think her primary social media was Facebook. She texted, she used a lot of social media, but 18,000 pages is a lot of pages, even in a case like this. Would it surprise you that this came from Facebook sent records and this came from the actual records Facebook had? Why would that surprise me? Not at all. Would it surprise you to know that it's in a section called private messages between account holders? I have, I, I, no, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't know. So if Michael Barrison gave you this and said he relied on this posting or text message, this isn't something that would have been public at the time before the shooting? I have no idea. This is one of 18,000 pages. Most of it's public. And this is something, are you aware whether this is something that was turned over by the prosecutor's office to the defense and discovery? Of 18,000 pages, I cannot account for each one of those pages. They're in evidence. I don't know anything more about that. And I certainly did not read all 18,000 pages. I'm just trying Nor to get, will I. And doctor, I'm just trying to get to the heart of Michael Barrison told you things you didn't verify or corroborate everything that he told you. I'm sorry, corroborate in terms of what? Well, you said that he told you that he relied on a number of Facebook posts. Yes. That informed his state of mind. Yes. And you said that he told you about this particular Facebook post as a post that informed his state of mind before the shooting. One of many, many, many. Certainly, I did not believe that a war was coming. And so what I'm asking you is if he wasn't actually aware of this post before the shooting, does that affect your opinion about what he told you? No, because he was aware of 17,000 other ones, which was similar. I'm just making up that number, given 18,000 on that. So it's 17,000 17, so, less one. It doesn't change anything. You were also asked about uh, these posts, and I'm going to show you what you marked as Exhibit 200A83. Yes. 200A81. These are the manifestos. 900E6. I've read these manifestos over and over again. And 900E7. Counsel, these are the manifestos. And I'm not going to ask you to read them again unless you want to, Doctor. Oh, please. But you indicated that those were given to you or referred to by Mr. Barrison? Many times. And you referred to them as the manifestos. Yeah, they labeled manifesto. I'm not sure that was her word. I, I, now I can't even remember any longer where this word came from. Well, you do you remember when you testified on direct examination that Lauren Canerac called those manifestos? I think she did, but I'm not sure. Would it surprise you to know that she never used the word manifesto in her records? I wouldn't be surprised. Doctor, this is probably a small detail for the purposes of what you were asked to evaluate. But on page five of your report, 
Did you indicate that the police officers responded to investigate on Wednesday, August 7, 2019 at 4.13 p.m.? Uh, yes, that's what I wrote. And are you aware that the actual time that they responded was 2.13 p.m.? Probably was a typo. There's several typos in my report. And I'm not going to go through all of them, Doctor, uh, but staying on page five, uh, you would agree with me at the bottom of that page, it's talking about Mr. Goodwin and his statement? Yeah, yes. And that leads over onto the top of page six where there's a block quote of approximately five lines? Yes, that actually is in, inappropriately attributed to Mr. Goodwin. It's actually this Lieutenant Heiner's statement that came from the report. So that's not accurate in your report? Typo. Now, you also uh, reviewed a number of medical records in this case? I did. And those would have been Ms. Canerac's records as well as Mr. Barrison's? And Mr. Goodwin. And Mr. Goodwin's. You indicated that Mr. Barrison sustained in a dog bite on his left eye? I think thigh, and I think it was in his groin area. I might have written that. As I recall it, I think it was in his groin area. Okay. That was going to be my next question, doctors. On page nine, it says he had an apparent dog bite in his and her left eye. You're embarrassing me my typo. I just wanted to make sure you were looking at the right medical records. The right part of the body. Right. So the so the, the bite, as you recall it, was in his in his uh, on his leg. It was just not groin, on his eye. His groin area. Now you were aware, uh, as you testified on direct, that DCPNP sent a caseworker to the property on August seventh. Correct. And you're aware that the caseworker was there to investigate a claim of child neglect. That's my understanding. Child neglect or child abuse, yes. Now, you also indicated that the report uh, was anonymous. Were you aware from reviewing the, the re records that it was actually a report from SafeSport? Later, I read that it initiated with SafeSport, which is the sporting governing body. And I know as a fact, everybody in this profession belongs to SafeSport, most legitimate people belong to SafeSport. And it's my belief that Lauren Canerac filed a report with SafeSport to uh, file a report against Mr. Barrison making more claims by the vehicle of SafeSport. What I meant by anonymous is that the actual complainant wasn't identified as Lauren Canerac or anybody else. It's my experience with Child Protective is they do not reveal the names of complainants. That's very common. But I, I do believe it was filed via Safe Sport. It's my understanding that Lauren Canerac had reported you don't have to him say to it Safe against Sport. Doctor, thank you. But are you aware that the complaint was actually against Michael Barrison and Ms. Gray? Yes, I think so. It's her, it's her children. Now, you indicated um, earlier, I think, that you summarized some of the witness statements in your report. I did. Prosecutor Shellhorn next shows Dr. Simring another report that is in evidence in the trial. After reviewing it, the witness responds. A report from Morris County Prosecutor's Office by Sasha Gold. I do remember that name, and I did review that report, yes. Doctor, I'm going to refer you it's to... Sasha Gould. There were two Goulds investigators, so I remember this is Sasha Gould. There was a male Gould as well. That's right. And Doctor, I'm going to refer you to page five of that report. Right. Approximately... I would say two-thirds to three-quarters of the way down. It's actually the third paragraph from the bottom that starts with Gray stated that on today's date. Yes. And do you see the sentence that says, it was learned that someone from her house reported allegations of abuse against Gray's children by Barrison? Correct. And this is in reference to Detective Gould's summary of her interview with Ms. Ms. Mary Haskins Gray? Correct. And you relied on that summary in, in formulating or, or adding information to your report? Well, yes, that's right. 
This report by Investigator Gould, she spoke to both Mr. Barrisone and Ms. Gray. This statement specifically relates to Ms. Ms. Gray. I just want to identify the statement. So could you repeat your question? Sure. And just before we do that, you just said that Detective Gould interviewed Mr. Barrisone and Ms. Gray, but I think you meant she interviewed Mr. Goodwin. Mr. Goodwin, sorry. Right, Mr. Goodwin and Ms. Gray. So the sentence I was referring to was, it was learned that someone from her house reported allegations of abuse against Gray's children by Barrison. Uh, yes. And then if I direct your attention to your report, page 8, and I'll refer to your report as S423, I think it's the same as the one the defendant marked. Yes, I have. Page 8. Of my report. Of your report. Though. Yes, I have it. And does the very last full sentence on that page say, it was learned that someone had reported allegations of sexual abuse against Ms. Gray's children by Mr. Barrison. Correct. So you'd agree with me the only difference between the sentence you wrote in your report about Ms. Gray's interview and the sentence that Sasha Gould wrote in her report about Ms. Gray's interview is that you added the word sexual before abuse. Oh, yes, this does not say sexual. I think that came from something else, but I don't remember. This does not say sexual. So beginning on... When you say this doesn't say sexual, the, what, are, what are you referring to? Your Honor, the uh, statement by Investigator Gould that I was quoting right. said abuse does not say sexual abuse. Okay. So when you indicated earlier that you summarized certain witness statements in your report, I think you said that that was to give your understanding of what some of the witnesses said as it may have pertained to your ultimate opinions? Yeah, yes, correct. It allows you to point out the error that she did not say sexual. So I, I laid out my understanding, which in terms of the word sexual was not correct. So you added the word sexual into your report where Ms. Gray never said that in her statement? I don't know if she ever said it or never said it, but that doesn't appear in that particular statement. And I did not add it deliberately. And that's because you never listened to her statement or watched her statement? Correct. So you added it, perhaps inadvertently, I guess you're saying, based on something else you saw in the case? I think so, yes. In fact, in those written statements of Michael Barrison, does he continually say that the DCPNP was there for something related to sexual abuse? I think so. So Michael Barrison told you in his written statement, or wrote in his written statement, that the worker was there to investigate sexual abuse. And then you adopted that in your report? Not really. Uh, it, it's my experience, counselor, in working with DIFUS over many years, now DC, PNP, is that they provide minimal information. And they will just simply say a complaint has been filed. They won't say by whom. They often don't even say the type of complaint. And I don't know why sexual crept into this. It certainly doesn't reflect what Investigator Gould said. It does reflect what Barrison said. I really don't know the answer to that. But I do know that some kind of complaint was filed, and I don't know who initiated it. It came via the Sport Safe professional organization, but I don't know who initiated it. Mr. Barrison assumed that it was Lauren Canarac one more attack against him, but I have no way of knowing that. And I think you said you don't know where that word sexual or where the sexual abuse came from, why it got inserted here. Correct. But you would agree with me, based on what we just discussed, the Division of, of Child Protection and Permanency, DCPMP, was not there to investigate sexual abuse. I don't know. I'd have to read, uh, go through this again, maybe in the break, and see uh, the statements that came directly from the investigator, if there was a statement directly from the investigator. I'm not sure I saw anything from the investigator. 
What if I told you that that investigator testified in court earlier in this trial and said that she was not there to investigate sexual abuse? I will accept that, uh, that uh, uh, assertion. Would you also accept the representation that the Sikh sport records of the initial complaint do not reference sexual abuse? If that's your uh, assertion, I will accept it. So where you indicated that you didn't know where the word sexual came from, you're also acknowledging that that is in the defendant's written statements that he gave to you? Correct, and I might have conflated it in doing my summary of the report. This is really, as I explained, one of the reasons I lay out my summary so that if I am in error of anything, it can easily be picked up by you on cross-examination. So you're putting things that are intentionally wrong into your report so I can catch them on cross-examination? Beg pardon? Is that what you just said? That's one of the most bizarre things I've ever been asked. No, I lay out my thinking so that you have the opportunity to examine the basis of my report and to question me if I'm in error about one of the bases, as you have here. I'm not trying to trick you. And I'm not trying to trick you either, Doctor. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Michael Barrison. Join us on our next installment as we conclude our look at the testimony of defense expert psychiatrist Dr. Stephen Simring. If you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracon. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and the trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Michael Barrison. <laughs>